It'll be Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 to 24. Matthew 6, from verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness." No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the second reading, if you keep turning to 1 Timothy. We're reading 1 Timothy 6. Verses 6 to 9. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession... I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in the unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, As uh, Jordan indicated, I'm Ross. You didn't know that, did you? 
You may or may not remember when uh, we had our vacancy that I was called upon, I was indicated, it was indicated to me that I'd be called upon to preach and, in, and I decided that I would preach through the book of James. <clears throat> and it's a long time since we uh, had the last sermon, so I need to have a third Bible reading this morning. Let's read the first uh, 11 verses of James chapter 1. <clears throat> and you may get some memories of what we preached on then, and then it leads into this morning's sermon. So James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding faults, and it will be given to him. But <clears throat> when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And here's the text for this morning's sermon. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heats and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. So far the reading from God's word. Now, because of the AGM, I have received a uh, gentle direction from the uh, powers that be that this sermon should be shorter rather than longer. So I've had to shorten it by 25%. So no frills today, folks. We get straight into it. We have seen that James's thesis is that the greatest need for Christians is to have a biblical world and life view that is founded on two things a head knowledge of God and faith in that God. Such a view of life flows from the perspective of eternity and God's sovereign redemptive plan for his creation. When you know those two things, things fall into place. Such a view provides the believer, that's you and me, with a spiritual rationale for facing the difficulties of life with peace, calmness, and even joy. Can you believe that? So having established this foundation, James now addresses particular facets of life faced by his readers. Facets which are also very well understood by 21st century Christians. James is addressing and encouraging primarily Jewish Christians, Jews who have been converted to Christ. And they have had to flee from Jerusalem, 
north, south, east. And if they went west, they'd have to catch a boat. Like today's refugees, they have had to leave nearly all their earthly possessions and wealth behind them and begin a new life with their families in new towns and cities. Some settled down quickly, while others kept on going. Just like all refugees, it was vital to find employment, to keep the wolf from the door, to put bread on the table. Now, what do you know of employers who get to employ refugees? In many nations, including Australia, many are unscrupulous and corrupt. Refugee is at their mercy. Many bosses will extract the maximum work for the minimum pay. That's why we must have laws to protect the worker, even today. But then, there were no such laws. Such injustices still exist in third world countries where sweatshops employ the underprivileged for long hours in unhealthy conditions for pittance wages. And if you have powers and authority over people, I trust you are not among those unscrupulous, but show the love of Christ to those under you. Well, that describes the conditions of James's distant congregations. They were financially poor. And James addresses them as brothers in humble circumstances. Notice that he doesn't use the word poor throughout these verses. He uses a phrase that includes a little dignity and embraces the varying degrees of poverty that they were experiencing. Some may have been wealthy in Jerusalem, but now many lived from hand to mouth, some in grinding poverty, filling the lowest paid positions in society. And so Pastor James writes to them to encourage them. And how does he do it? With God's wisdom, not man's. So the sermon is entitled, The Wisdom of Poverty. He tells them to take pride or boast in their high position. Did you hear that? This James does seem to get it all wrong, doesn't he? The way he expresses himself is so controversial. It grabs your attention. First, he has directed them to endure their persecution and all their hardships of life with joy. And not just joy, but pure, unadulterated joy. Now he instructs them to be proud, to take glory in their high financial position in their new society. But isn't he aware that they are at the bottom rung of society, not the top? Just what does he mean? How is this comfort to struggling Christians? But just before we consider what he means, I want you to notice he loved words, James did. He loved using grammar and stuff like that. Rob Giesman would love, he loved James. Being an old English teacher, you, some of you remember that. We note that he uses parallelisms. Both the rich and the poor must take pride in their positions in society. 
the poor in their high position and the rich in their low position. On the surface to 21st century Christians, this seems upside down, doesn't it? Now the word pride can also be translated boast or exult in, all of which have the sense of being happy with. And this is just what James has said from verse 2, isn't it? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And here they are facing the trial of poverty. How to be joyful in poverty. Secondly, he uses contrast. Contrast between the rich and the poor in their financially low and high positions. So now what does he mean? That these Christian refugees must boast in their high position. What exactly is their high position? And James doesn't give you lots of information. You have to do, you have to put your Christian world and life view wisdom hat on, as it were. Well, this is certainly not how the world views poverty and life's humble circumstances, is it? Being at the bottom of the social and economic ladder, the human perspective is that this is a low position. In no way, shape, or form can it be considered a high position. But we need to remember that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is addressing his scattered flock here whose sole purpose is to bring comfort and blessing to his people so that they can endure to the end with a faithful testimony to their great Savior. Here we have divine wisdom in poverty. It is no divine punishment to be a refugee. It is not a punishment to live in humble circumstances. Christ has made a full atonement for their sins, all their sins. They are children of the King, King Jesus. This then is their boast. This then is their high position. They may be persecuted, they are, but they are persecuted, forgiven people, dearly loved by their divine shepherd, whose goodness and mercy is following them all the days of their lives. So we are looking at spiritual directions here that the world can never understand. A Christian biblical view of life's financial circumstances. It is the antithesis of that presented by the world's media, government and education today. The acquisition of wealth is presented by the world as the goal of life, purportedly because it will give you happiness. Very self-centered. Consider the promotion of Bitcoin, for example. Get rich quickly. These persecuted, poor, scattered Jewish Christians must realize that they are actually in the eyes of God, very rich, in a high position. Actually, 
one of exaltation in which they are to boast and rejoice in. They may be poor in this world's estimation, but in Christ they are immeasurably, immeasurably rich. You can't measure the wealth that you and I have. The Christian, whether rich or poor with cash, with or without hardships, must learn to see him herself as God sees him, her, as redeemed from sin, an heir of grace, a prince, a princess of the King of kings and Lord of lords, of royal blood. He, she, you are a child of the king, wealth immeasurable. So James is saying, don't focus on your lack of worldly goods and your immediate financial situation. That's how the world thinks. But that is not God's wisdom. The rich are the ones who are really poor, while in God's eyes, you in your humble circumstances are rich beyond human comprehension. As Paul reminded the Ephesian church, you have received the riches of God's grace. The riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom. Expressed in the redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sins. And again he rejoices in the incomparable you can't compare it to anything in this world. The incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The Christian does not look at his material possessions and check his bank balance to describe his wealth. Rather, the world's poverty of materialism is replaced with the spiritual wealth of God's incomparable grace. Humbly, yet with boasting, exulting, he points to his heavenly father and his redeeming son and says, I am an heir of my father's kingdom. Later in chapter two, James returns to the subject. He goes, he Chops around, James does, as you find in his book. He returns to this subject and says poignantly, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? That sums up the sermon very well. Ah, there is God's wisdom congregation. The parallelism and contrast continue. James contrasts the brother in humble positions with one who is rich. So now, who is this one who is rich? It's an interesting point when you study the passage. Grammatically, the contrast could be a rich brother in Christ, or the contrast could be a rich non-Christian. You may have had that question come into your mind as you read that passage. 
we must let the immediate context decide for us. Firstly, we note that James excludes the Christian term brother in describing this rich person, suggesting he is referring to the rich non-Christian. Secondly, we note that it was a custom in that early Christian church to share worldly wealth. Remember, we read in Acts 2, all the believers had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had a need. That is not the case here in this passage. Thirdly, James later presents the rich as non-Christians who are, quote, insulting, exploiting them, even dragging them before the courts and slandering the noble name of him to whom they, the poor Christians, belong. Hence, we conclude that James is making a contrast here between the poor Christian and the rich non-Christian who was being unjust in exploiting his workers. James then employs irony in describing the rich man's boast. If he boasts in his riches, then he should realize that puts him in a low position in God's estimation. Before Almighty God, both rich and poor start in a low position before him as sinners. It is only faith in Christ that can elevate either to a high position and receive the riches of grace. So, is possessing, is possessing worldly wealth a sin? You may have thought. No. James does not even mention wealth as such. He only talks about the rich person. As James and all of Scripture teaches, quote from chapter 1 of James, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. So, if you as a Christian is blessed by worldly wealth, you can relax. But only for a moment. Because Jesus also declares, challengingly, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When God grants the good gift of wealth to his child, he does it for a specific reason, that he can share it with those who are poor. And this is, the very, this is very relevant for us as Christians in Australia who live as some of the world's richest people. We are to be generous with God's cash gift, looking for gospel causes to give to. We've had one this morning, haven't we? Christmas boxes. Izzy, I think you're going to be rushed this morning. Better get some helpers. Causes that alleviate the poverty of this world in the name of Christ, that also proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard. 
These are some of the good works that God has prepared for you to do. So it is good practice in our churches to have a second offering every Sunday that's designated in general to the financially disadvantaged here and elsewhere. Absorb Paul's words to Timothy. He begins with the word command. That's a strong word, isn't it? So it's not a maybe, it's a command to execute. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, but to put their hope in God. That's number one. Then command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. I trust all of you are rich in good deeds, to be generous and to be willing to share. That's the command we receive. And you might say, why? Well, because of our riches in Jesus. Holding on to your wealth, having fat bank balances, doing nothing for God's kingdom is condemned here and elsewhere in Scripture. James gives a strong reason why the rich Christian should boast in the low position of poverty. Knowing that he is going to be here for a very short time. Some get to be 97. But then he will die to appear before God's judgment seat to receive judgment for his life and his deeds. He will pass away like a wildflower. The sun rises with scorching heats and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Even while he goes about his business, while he is seeking to increase his wealth foolishly, his earthly days may end. Perhaps this week you'll hear on the news, some businessman died at his job, making money. You can't take your wealth with you. It's all left here. But God does expect us to use it to glorify his name, the name of Christ in this world. Dying with an empty bank balance has divine merit. Scrooge McDuck will not be in heaven. And then I need to read to you a testimony of a guy called Steve Jobs. Is that right? Jobs? I pronounced his name wrongly the last time and somebody laughed at me. At the end of his life, he wrote these poignant words. I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is the epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, my wealth is only a fact of life I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on my bed and recalling my life, I realize that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in 
have paled and become meaningless in the face of my death. Poignant, meaningful words. He had some wisdom. But as far as we know, he died outside Jesus. James gives the practical advice of divine wisdom. Learn to view life in a spiritual way, a Christian way, God's way, with a Christian mind that thinks God's thoughts. And that this Christian mind then reflects the action of Jesus Christ himself. What was the mind of Christ? Quote, though he was rich, eternal glory, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus, 2 Corinthians. So no wonder then that James could urge his congregations to take pride in their humble position. As the riches of God's grace in Jesus was theirs as a royal gift, a rock that stands in all the storms and tsunamis of life is that you belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, body and soul, in life and in death. Because he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. Now, wholeheartedly, use all your gifts to serve him. In Christ, you are rich. In him, you can boast. In him, you have a high position. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the simple and yet profound words of James to his congregation long ago. And we pray, Lord, that you will deepen in our minds a Christian mind that thinks as you do. Lord, we know you to be an almighty God, one in whom we can fully trust. Help us to fully trust you in all the circumstances of life so that even if we are in humble positions, lacking that which this world counts as wealth, we may not be overcome, but that we may be joyful, have peace in our hearts, knowing where we've come from, what we're doing here, and where we're going. We thank you that you give us gifts, and I pray, Lord, that indeed we may use them wisely, generously, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.